So welcome to Wine O'Clock, Neil Williams here, joined by Darren Wilcox from LG Park and Merrick's General Wine Store and oh, all those places. Darren, how are you going? Alive and well, thank you. Oh, that's very good. Look, uh, the Pinot celebration is what we're talking about today. Now we, uh, I've managed to have a chat to Olivia uh, uh, Olivia Barry from the uh, Vineyards Association sure. and... and People probably would have heard that, but we'll throw in excerpts over the next week or two uh, just to refresh people's mind about that. So the Pinot Celebration, they've held it at a great venue, RACV Cape Shank there, fantastic. Mm. Um, so, well, to start with, I mean, my, my impression of it is it's sort of like a professional development activity for the wine industry. Sure. And it had a whole lot of people, including winemakers sure. and people like yourself who were uh, steeped in the wine industry, yes. Darren. <laughs> well, uh, just welcome to all of our listeners. This is really an incredible thing. But before I begin, um, I'd just like to take this opportunity to thank Olivia and yep. Alison uh, and all the team at Mornington Peninsula Wine uh, for what was an absolutely outstanding event, um, and that is the, the recently held mm. Pinot Noir Celebration yeah. 2023. Um, so the event ran across two days. Yep, La, Friday and a Saturday, boy. Friday yep. and a Saturday, yep. and it was an event that, that provided some fascinating insights into the world of Pinot Noir mm. uh, with some of the world's most knowledgeable experts. That was the interesting thing I found, Darren, is that there were people coming from... England, yes. Um, New Zealand was some. America, there was a couple of uh, climatologists and such from America. Amazing. So, uh, as well as right across Australia, of course. But it was just, it really was a worldwide thing. And people who worked in in France and and um, right around Europe as well. So that was a really impressive thing. Very, very impressive and very, very special. And mm. so. Let's begin with this incredible reference booklet yes, that I was put together for yeah, the event. Yep. And this great little book you got really there. It looks is great. Yeah. absolutely exceptional. Um, it showcases everything from the regions, the wines, hmm. to trellising, to fermentation. Yep. And it's just a brilliant resource and reference. Yeah. And so if we sort of we turn this over and we're looking at a two-day yep. event yep. Um, and we've got the best of the best from all around the world. Yep talking about Pinot Noir. Now, Pinot Noir is one of those varietals that captures everyone's attention. It, yes. Yeah. It, it, it is difficult to uh, produce mm-hmm. and it's even harder to get right yeah. and to get to that exceptional level. And I think in Australia, um, a lot of people will remember uh, their first Burgundy, perhaps their first yeah. red Burgundy, and they thought to themselves, this is the most amazing experience. Mm. It sort of transcends words. Yep. And a lot of the producers, a lot of winemakers and owners in that room had that initial experience, yeah. tasted their first Burgundy, and then that set them on the path to, mm. to try and replicate or produce an outstanding version in the new world of yeah. Pinot Noir. And, and of course, the, the, the notion of Burgundy yes. um, it, it got a little bit twisted in the 60s and 70s and had all sorts of rapes, <laughs> but actually it should be Pinot Noir, essentially, <laughs> although there's some times I'll blend it with a bit of Shiraz or yeah, something yeah. else as well. But it, it's essentially Pinot, yeah. but some of those early Australian ones with the label Burgundy weren't necessarily we, Pinot. We have evolved <laughs> and matured from them. Correct. Know. So if we open this incredible book yep. put together for the Pinot Noir Celebration 2023, I'll just read a little bit yep. and we'll, we'll move through this today and we'll yeah. look at some really interesting aspects. Right. 
Um, Martin Spenning was the chair of the celebration. Now, he's a 10 by tractor. That's correct. Yeah. And um, so over the two days, there'll be 150 Pinots to taste. Um, and we will discuss and traverse through a range of topics, starting with a broader philosophical view of fine wine, connections to place, and exploration of our regions. Mm. Now, all of these discussions are paired uh, with food. Uh, the event was held at the RACV yep. uh, in Cape Shank, which is an outstanding venue. And the second day we went out. We went out oh, okay. um, and we started with a, with a beautiful welcome to country um, out on the road. And the second day is sort of... Um, a time for people to meet with the peninsula landscape yep. and in the vineyards and rhineries um, and people progressively moved into smaller groups throughout the day to explore a range of topics that more suited them. And you, so you had a chance to choose one of the, essentially a theme, didn't you, in, yes. in that second day? Yeah. And, and, and if we go through a little bit further yeah, sure. um, and, and have a look at the program, the first day started with sort our changing world and custodianship. Now, mm. this was a brilliant talk which uh, was held by a panel and one of the panel was Dr Greg Jones, which is yep. a world-renowned climatologist. Now, sure. he is an atmospheric scientist and a wine climatologist who has done pretty much groundbreaking work in the influence and, and, and he's informed the wine industry across the globe. Mm. Um He's been around for 25 years doing research that is firmly linked to climate and grapevine growth. Yep. So fruit chemistry, wine characteristics in all regions around the world. Now, the interesting part about this seminar was his work is one of the first to look at climate change yeah. and the fundamental sort of biological phenomenon and the influence of Pinot Noir uh, and vines. So that session was fascinating because... Uh, I was I was actually fortunate enough to sit uh, with this individual, mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Jones, yeah. and uh, we quickly had a chat. And what I was fascinated about was that he spoke to me and said, it all starts with climate, Darren. Yeah. So as we're moving into a new shift, a new change in, in climate, yep. and uh, in many instances the modelling uh, is getting warmer, Yep. Now, there's no um, conspiracy or there's no agenda behind yep. this. This is just the actual data. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of historical places that have been ideal or optimum to grow Pinot Noir uh, are suddenly changing. Yeah. They're, they're becoming less ideal. And as maybe the listeners know, um, Pinot Noir is only grown in a very, very small fraction of the planet. Yeah. Um, in, in a cool climate fraction. And... The interesting discussion uh, I had with Dr. Jones was that it was a conversation about thinking forward. Yeah. So how do we mitigate some of these mm. examples of, of, of a warmer site? Yeah. And, and, you know, without uprooting your vines and going down to a cooler part of the country or a cooler part of the world. So we don't all head to Tassie straight away. Well, exactly. <laughs> what the, We were just looking, opening our minds yeah. up in the vineyards. What can we do? Hmm. What clones do we use? For example, a practical example would be the cover crop uh, or yeah. for those you know who, who are listening who are just new, just the bare ground underneath the vines. Yeah. If you can reduce that bare ground, um, you're not going to get as much heat reflected up into the fruit and up into the canopy. Uh, which can reduce the warming. And that's and, something Rollo Crittenden has uh, emphasised at, at, at Crittenden. So he, he was talking to me about that uh, just a few months ago. Yes. Yeah. And these, these, are, these are some 
practical measures that um, individuals uh, would would already be looking at yep. in in, the, in in warming of their sites. Um, and the other extreme would be just the change your thinking about what was the norm. The mentality that we started with in a cool region was mm. we have to be north facing. Yeah. We we have to capture the sun in the warmest yep. pocket. Um, it might reverse yeah. as time goes on. We don't know. Maybe the south-facing slopes are going to be better for Pinot. Going to be better yeah. for Pinot Noir, the yeah. delicate, thin-skinned varietal that is Pinot Noir. So, our changing world and custodianship was really an, mm. a beautiful seminar about just thinking about these aspects specific to Pinot Noir, where the environment is, how you're managing your environment, and you know how you will look to get the best quality as the climate changes mm. so like yeah. in the yarra valley example if you talk to some of them they used to start on the valley floor but right. nowadays it's halfway up the side of a hill they might be up mount turlbawong or something like that it's a dramatically changed with Absolutely. their elevations yeah. is a huge part of that yeah. to, to to cool things down um but alternative aspects like yep. i mentioned and and historically this uh, Dr. Jones would, has mapped all the Pinot Noir regions on the planet mm. and he's mapped them over many years. And it's, say it's a colour yep. and there's a border around that colour on a map. Yep. He has shown over the years how that colour's shifted outside the border. Right. So the optimum yeah. region yep. um, has, in some instances, in some areas, moved right out where it historically was. So, he, so he, he's done a bit of work from Oregon, yes. who are now growing a, bit, <laughs> a lot more Pinot Noir than they do in California, as an exactly. example. Yeah. So, you know, it's warmed yeah. up enough. Once upon a time, Oregon would have been way too cold. Yes. I've had some beautiful, um, crisp, dry whites and some Chardonnay from, from Oregon. Mm. And... Yeah, that was that was a brilliant talk. Moving forward, moving yep. forward, day one, uh, the taste. We moved into lunchtime. Yep. And they set up this beautiful room, which was called the Wine Discovery Lunch. Ooh. Uh, and basically, it was hosted by winemakers from the Mornington Peninsula, Gippsland, Yarra Valley, Geelong, Macedon Ranges. Adelaide Hills in Tasmania. I love when I started <laughs> lo looking at the the list, <laughs> yeah. the number of. Outstanding winemakers who who had been in who were coming along to be involved. So, any particular names oh, yeah. spring so to mind to you? Yeah. Fifty four uh, wines we enjoyed yep. Yep. with a beautiful lunch menu. Yeah, and each stand had a representative from the region. Now, I have just selected a few for our readers yep. as we as we peruse yeah, through sure. this first wine discovery lunch, uh, starting with the Mornington Peninsula. Yep. And I'll elaborate a little bit later on some really good wines across the whole event. Okay. But we'll just start with Start the, there. Start with the locals. So Dexter Pinot Noir 21. Yep. Handpicked uh, 21. Yep. Kybird Hills 21 and Yabby Lake 21. Local examples. Yeah. Beautiful. Gippsland. Uh, Bass Phillip. Yeah. Uh, obviously, there was a premium Pinot Noir there. Bass River is also another... Okay. Uh, Producer, yeah, they're twenty one. Dirty three from Gippsland. They're, they're, we'll come back to they've them. They've been good, yes. Uh, purple hen stuff. as well. Yep. We went to the Yarra Giant Steps, of course. I had a little look at Geelong. Geelong looked pretty good once again. Scotchman's and Oak Dean, mm. they stand forward. Um, Bindi Block Five from the Macedon Ranges. That's which, Michael Dillon. Exactly. He was Halliday's Winemaker of the Year in yeah. last year, 2022. That was an exceptional wine. Yep. So Bindi Block 5, 21 from Macedon, if anyone's listening. 
And mm. then it was all about Tasmania. Yeah. I'd been very fortunate to look at these uh, Pinot Noirs through the Pinot Noir, Australian Pinot Noir Challenge uh, late last year. Yeah. And had a familiarity with a lot of these and revisited them again. But it just really, the, the 21 vintage from Tasmania was absolutely outstanding. So those Pinot Noir connoisseurs out there. I noticed Peter Coldwell from Del Rimple was yes. one of the people involved. Yes, yeah. he, he was, great, he was great a fantastic name. character. Yeah. Um, so Tamar Ridge 21, Pressing Matters 21, mm. uh, Low Stoft, La Maison, um, Pinot Noir 21, we'll come back to that. Uh, Jack Dennis Pooley and Bubbin Pooley. These are all names to look out for, mm. for exceptional quality. And interestingly, the, the Pooley fan were involved in making the wine from just out of uh, Hobart yes. that won the the Pinot Challenge uh, in, in October. So yes. it's, a, it's essentially that family who are involved in doing the winemaking for them. And we have some information on that moving forward. But oh, good. Yeah, the Cold River, just below Richmond, yep. about 30 minutes out of Hobart. Mm. Um, once again, once again, I'd say 15 or 20 years ago, perhaps might have been a little bit too cool yeah. uh, to produce premium, top-quality Pinot Noir in Australia. Yep. So... The tasting was absolutely outstanding. Now, a lot of these sessions... Um, so well, when you're looking at those, Darren, yeah. I'll, I'll pause you on this for a <laughs> sure. moment because it's really, it's really interesting to me anyway. Yeah. Were, were you looking at the distinctions between some of these ones or, or you know, what, what was in, in the back of the mind, appreciating the variation? or Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you've got you know four or five iconic regions yep. to look at and yep. they're the top representations of that region on the shelf and a lot of winemakers in the room uh, a lot of viticulturalists and everyone is buzzing with passion Mm. and it is it's an exceptional way to learn more and talk to someone from that region and by this stage your palate is honed in you know you the first session you've tasted you've had a a blind tasting and it's you really tuned in on the nuances of the wine and uh I think you do pick up differences unconsciously mm. yep. and uh, you revisit and you go back and you make a little note. And that's why for our listeners, I made those notes just on those. on those Particular ones we mentioned, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Now, were there anything that stood out, apart from the, they're all very good wines, <laughs> was there one you thought, oh, now that's something I... I'll come back to that. All Finally, right, all at right, the good, end, I've good, got good. a list, yeah, uh, nice. the optimum list. Now, yeah, nice. moving f- to the end of uh, day one. Yep. Uh, we had the one of the final sessions, uh, which was called In the Eye of the Beholder. And it basically was a discussion about what's happening around the world, mm. what's next, what are consumers looking for, how do consumers choose, what's a, what makes a benchmark, yeah. and you know what opinions really matter. So who, who were some of the people uh, involved in that discussion? There? Uh, Michael Dillon, as, yep. as you mentioned, yep. and there was a French... Uh, gentleman Loic Avril. Yep. And it was a mixed panel. Okay. The main, the main, I mean, and that throws over to the wealth of experience in the crowd. But the main point is that you're really challenging, um, you know, your mindset on, you know, what's in front of you. So the wine tasting really provided a valuable uh, perception of Pinot Noir in the market. What, yeah. what is value? Hmm. And for me, coming from a technical standpoint, mm. value is the best quality at the lowest price. Yeah. But perhaps value 
from a consumer point of view is just filling a need or a desire. Yep. So if they can fill that need, that's valuable to them. Mm. And it's very interesting when you look at pricing and, and, and where to place uh, your product yep. from, from, a, from, a, from a producer's point of view. Yeah, sure. And versus the consumer. What, what do they know? Mm. Are they interested? Are they developing their learning? And mm. what became very apparent yep. is that it was a room full of professionals. We were digging deep into the nuances of yeah. all these particularities of Pinot Noir. And then we had to put our consumer hat on and yep. think, okay, well, what's driving the market? Mm. What, what, you know, what are people enjoying? Where's, you know, and the discussion just flowed around these kind of things. Okay. Now, I know one of the, the sessions when I was looking at the program was basically, I think, one that Max Allen chaired. Yes. Um, called Challenge Our Philosophy. Yes. And and they had um, Elaine Chook and Brown, who'd worked, done a lot of stuff with uh, Jancis Robinson. Yes. Plus uh, Carolyn Miller, who people may have seen on the Gruen Transfer on ABC, who's a yes. bit of a marketing guru. Yes. Uh, I thought that was an interesting combination to bring together. And, yes. Uh, and... What that actually did to people's philosophies when you sort of look at all those different angles at it. Oh, it was that was that was that was really mixing sort of um, the philosophical and cultural yeah. elements, and then it was sort of an intellectual exploration. So it was quite cerebral, <laughs> <laughs> and that's how the day started. Yeah, so you can yeah, imagine yeah. how it went from you know, there. How it went, yeah. but it's fascinating because there's so many different branches yeah. to what we do in love, mm. and, and essentially. It was difficult. You would remember, mm. and you're a little bit older than me, and back, let's say, 30 years... Let's, let's be honest, a lot older than you, Darren, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, 30 years ago, not yeah. many people knew much about Pin Online. Correct. And Absolutely correct. If, if we look at the producers in the local region, uh, we look at iconic venues, mm. like to Gallant, yep. and, and Kathleen Queerly and Kevin McCarthy, and we yep. look at iconic producers like Stonia yep. and the marketing on the back of that mm. um, with Brian Stonia and Arthur O'Brien and Geraldine McFall and Todd Dexter. All these individuals have helped yep. forge um, the path for Pinot Noir in the new world. Mm. So where where is it sitting now, do you think, Pinot? Uh, you know, like a lot of is, – is it something that some of the younger people are finding – interesting and that's where they're starting their journey uh what are they like what have we found out about that and that that change that movement if you like i think what we have what we understood as yep. pinot lovers yeah is and what we're seeing is that people are falling in love with the varietal like we did yep and there's a mystery to the varietal mm. there's a difficulty to the varietal uh, and there's a mystique that mm. surrounds Pinot Noir. And it really is, not only is it an elegant and beautiful uh, beverage, mm. um, but it's steeped in so much history and it's so difficult to produce. Yeah. Uh, and there is a lot of passion that surrounds this single varietal. And the interesting um, point that I would, would say is that you can still obtain a top quality New World Pinot Noir mm. at a reasonable price. Yep. The interesting other fact is that those historic premium producers in Burgundy, um, the scarcity of the product has priced out a lot of consumers. Mm. So to taste a Grand Cru uh, Burgundy is almost out of reach for the majority, yep. including myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and so the, it's, it's an interesting gap. It, it, it's almost... 
So the new world is where the buzz is. That's where the new drive is. Yeah. And we are, we are we're, seeing... We're right in the middle of that. Yeah, we're right on the cusp <laughs> yeah. of being the best mm. uh, of the new world. Indeed, we perhaps may be along with New Zealand. So, yeah. um, and Oregon, obviously, um, there as well. Yeah, fa- fascinating. Uh, <laughs> so, so that, you know, those people in that particular one, yes. uh, that, uh, it, it's not like you can go and listen to that discussion and say, righty let's sum it up in a, in a sentence, because I don't think you could. It's just... The, the journey of the discussion is the interesting part, isn't it, with, with those people I mentioned, for instance? Absolutely, and everybody in the room. Yep. I mean, everybody in the room has an interest and a love yep. for Pinot Noir, and it's it's open to anybody, not just professionals. So if you're there and you're very interested in Pinot Noir, you will learn so much in two days by coming to this event. Mm. It's a luxurious privilege mm. to to be tasting wines, learning about wines in a beautiful setting on the Mornington Peninsula mm. uh, at a venue like RACV yep. and then going off the next day, which we'll move into now. Yeah, sure. Um, so day two, what happened, Darren? So day two was was incredible. Um, it started out at Red Hill yep. and it was a welcome to country with mm-hmm. some local Indigenous um, and... They were amazing. They basically told their story and it was a beautiful um, sort of way for us, for everybody to remember the land and to think more about sustainability in the land and how we can better integrate our practices sustainably uh, moving forward. And so that tied in beautifully and it was a picturesque morning. The sun was shining and uh, all we all went down and sat in in among the gum trees and uh, it really was quite peaceful and beautiful mm. after quite an exciting night the prior. So welcome to country and storytelling. Um, and then we moved into the Mornington Peninsula wine tasting. Right, now, okay. I have never in my life seen anything more impressive than uh, there's a very large uh, shed at the top yep. of Red Hill. Yep. And Mornington Peninsula wine would historically have the winter wine weekend tasting. Yes. <laughs> This entire shed, for those who, who don't know, is, is, is about the size of a basketball court or bigger. It's right. a very, very large yep. space. They put three tables immaculately, evenly placed right down the middle. The, the chairs were in millimetre perfection yeah. <laughs> with hundreds of glasses. Right. And it looked amazing. So we walked into this room and the tasting had already been set up. Mm. And it was chaired or hosted by Andrew Callard, who's a master of wine. Yep. And he's been at uh, Langton's for, for, for many years. Very, um, yeah. very knowledgeable, spoke very well, knew a lot of the producers. Yep. And um, special comments from Todd Dexter and Geraldine McFall. Okay, yeah, our so local ones, yep. I did, the Mornington Peninsula region really is at the pointy end. Hmm. All of the wines were absolutely outstanding in this tasting. If you can imagine hundreds of people in a room all tasting and writing notes and having professionals talk about the wines. And how how many wines did you get to try? uh, (laughs) I think there's about uh, 12 in total, but a few times that by every guest. That's right. I don't think I've seen that many glasses in one space. And none of them were out of place. It looked beautiful. So we had just running from the top... They wanted to represent sort of the the producers that have played a key role in the development of Mornington Peninsula that's, that's as one of the leading Pinot yeah, producers sure. uh, and, and, and leading regions in Australia. 
So I'll just run through the list. Yeah, let's go through the list. We, we, we might pause on a couple, but let's go through that's the list. That's okay. Yeah. So basically starting from the top, the oldest commercial vineyard of the modern era uh, was the Algae Park Pinot Noir 21. Yes. And then we go into Main Ridge, Half Acre, Merrick's Estate, Estonia Reserve, Crittenden, Crete Muraduck, Peringa, 10 Minutes, Kuyong and Hurley. Wow. Now these producers are really iconic in the region. Yep. And they were all from the 21 vintage. And and a bit of a spread too, because from mm. what you've mentioned, El well, it's the Red Hill Main Ridge area, but when you start, it's also Belnaring when you start talking about Hurley. Oh. Um, so it, it, it's a nice little geographical spread there. It's a beautiful diversity of products. Yeah. And because we'd been so tuned in, the, the, the differences really stood out. Yeah. It, you know, they were all from an excellent vintage. They all had a general well, Something special about 2021, wasn't there, oh, really? Yeah, it's really? It's really amazing. Yeah. And, and 22, for all our listeners, yeah. is even better. Wow. So I've heard it from good... Uh, authority. Yep. Um, that it's going to be a crack when it's released. It's going yeah. to be amazing. Pin on my from the morning to peninsula. Coming through that. So, so we've got those 12. All right. When then. you look at the differences of Pin on my, like when you're honed in at that level after a day or so of tasting yep. and blind tasting, you can really pick up the nuances quite clearly. So you. So you're having a taste, but mm. you weren't sure which one of those 12 you necessarily had on at the time. On this one, they'd listed it. Right? Oh, they did. Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. It, I was going to say, that'd be an extra bit of twist to it all. Yeah, well, this is the fun of the event. Yeah. In previous sessions, the whole room had a blind tasting and had to rank where wow. they thought the wines were and wow. what region. Yeah. And How uh, people go on that? As a diversion? We'll, we'll, <laughs> as we'll a diversion? Yeah. It's one of the hardest things... So yeah. that any wine professional can do yeah. is conduct a blind tasting and, and link the dots. Wow. Um, I, there was a couple of reasons I, I simply hadn't been familiar with, yep. so I couldn't. You couldn't. I, I just simply didn't know what they, the region yeah. tasted like. Yep. Um, but I was quite happy. Um, I got three out of five. Yeah. And the master, there was a master of wine who got four and, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't an ego thing. No, but I was quite happy yeah, with it that. It wasn't a competition, really. No, it's just about developing your. So yeah, your so this tasting had everyone listed, and yeah. uh, just for those who really enjoy their wine and, and want to learn this one, the nuances coming back to the nuances. So yeah, yeah, when yeah. you're tuned on in, you, you can ones. see the nuances quite simply. They stand out. One might have partial whole bunch. One might have a hundred percent whole bunch. Mm-hmm. There's a prettiness and acidity, or there's more sort of red fruits or red fruits leading into dark fruits, and it mm. all comes out. Um, and I found the diversity and selection that they that they put together for the Mornington Peninsula wine tasting exceptional, and it showed how much variation there was. Yep. So, okay, Andrew took his, you know, said, okay, we're doing number one or whatever. Yeah. Bit of a chat about that. Yeah. Uh, at what stage did the Two winemakers uh, chip in and help. Well, he split it up. He, he sort oh, okay. of said, okay, uh, Mr. Dexter, you've got the first three. Yep. Uh, Geraldine, you've got the, the next, you know, and it goes couple. on and goes yep. on. And um, they had a fascinating insight because um, both Todd Dexter and Geraldine McFall um, have worked together. Wines yeah, yeah, and have worked for together years. for many years. Yeah. And Todd um, told an incredible story when Geraldine first started at Stonia's. Mm. And he was the head winemaker at Stonia's at the time. And Geraldine got sent to Burgundy oh, by Estonia's, right. airfares paid. Yeah, wow. And naturally, 
came back full of ideas. Yep. Now, the vineyard Geraldine was sent to um, basically were just using whole cluster. They didn't uh, use anything different. They put the bunch and the fruit straight in, yep. and that's that's that was the whole bunch yep. element. Yep. That was their wine. And yep. um, they didn't have any de-stemmers or anything like that. So the wines that were made over there and the philosophy translated back through Geraldine, and Geraldine went to Todd and said, look, you know, what do you think about using some whole bunch, um, you know, mm. and... Uh, he gave her full confidence yep. and full reign to experiment with that varietal. And Stonia, um, over the years, have produced, I think it was their Windmill or their Jim Joker. There was a couple of brands yep. uh, in their wines that, that did Whole Bunch exceptionally well. Yep. And I think Geraldine is probably one of the pioneers of Whole Bunch. Of, of the Whole Bunch down this way. In Pinot Wine yeah, in yeah, the yeah. world. Yeah, okay. Mm. Well, it's, isn't that terrific? <laughs> so you've worked your way through those 12. Yes. Was there... The, the, I'm just going to compare to one of the other things you did where you said we tried to pick the best wine, sure. so to speak. Was there anything along those those lines with that 12 where you were just appreciating the those 12 particular wines? Oh, there was a pinos? couple that stood out. Yeah. And, um, so to you, if you had to, you had to say, yeah, one or two here. Look, I'll go into it. I'll yeah. go into it. Why should we wait? So, Why not? Okay, Why there's wait? two wines that stood out All right. for me, and, yep. and I'll see if I can um, find Track it. down those notes while you're doing all I, that. I'm going through um, an, a very exciting... So while you're getting getting those, um, of course, Geraldine makes... She's made what we said at Stone is, but she'll also... Willow Creek, I think she still does. Yes. There's some stunning stuff there, but Jackalope, as yes. they're now calling themselves. And, of course... For Algae Park Absolutely. and Bayviews as well. So she's uh, made some outstanding wines outstanding. over the years. And, of course, Todd Dexter's uh, seen as a bit of a, a Pinot King. And, yes, he worked at Stonia's, and you'll also <laughs> see the Todd Dexter name uh, on, on the labels. And currently he's um, developing uh, Point Leo, who, well, he had been doing that for a while, and they had some issues with... You know, think, fires and God knows what, but yeah, yeah. of Todd and, and Geraldine is 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 exceptional. Amazing, Todd is an, yep. he's a real he's a real pioneer in the industry. Correct. Now coming back to that Mornington Peninsula tasting, yes, two wines that stood out for me: Ooh. Crittenden Estate. Yep, I, I really need to to mention this um, Rollo uh, Crittenden and Matt Campbell. Yep, um, fantastic fellows. This was their twenty twenty one Crita Cour. Okay. And Pinot Noir. Yeah. This Pinot Noir has a black label. I think Critiqueur means cry for passion. Yep. Um, this wine was a standout wine. It had fantastic structure of tannin, and the 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 acid blended seamlessly. But this beautiful spice nose of almost fennel and licorice. Yep. And it. Rolled into a delicate and seductive wine. It was. It had brilliant complexity and structure, and it's always a little bit daunting when you're tasting opposite the winemakers. <laughs> and Rollo's looking at you. Yeah. So Rollo and Matt are opposite, tasting, doing yeah. notes. I'm quietly sitting down, tasting, yeah. and doing enjoying notes. it. And basically, so if you think about that. You know, you you definitely are on your best behaviour. <laughs> so next to me, uh, I had uh, Imogen Dillon, yes. the winemaker, yep. at um, 10 Minutes by Tractor yep. on my left-hand side. 
And on my right hand side, I had Brendan Hawker from Yearing Station. Ah, oh, so well, okay. The pressure was and on. Just, they just cleaned up recently at the Yarra Valley uh, Awards Yearing Station. So yes. this is the this is the triangle of people, and yeah. it was just an absolutely beautiful experience. So I thought, no, I'm going to say something because yeah. these two wines really stood out. So yeah. I said to, I leaned over to Rollo and Matt, and I said, just absolutely awesome wine, well done. And I was talking about that lovely spice and yep. structure, and. Um, I forgot to realise that the Crete de Cour, Crittenden Estate 21, I believe was was 100% whole bunch. Mm. So it's a wine that's going to get better and better and better. Mm. Now, for those who don't know, Crittenden Estate uh, was first planted in 1982. Yes. Um, and it's one of Mornington Peninsula's by few. Gary, Gary Crittenden, yeah. my father, was the one who did most of the plantings in, with a bit of help from the book, from the... From the uh, son and daughter, of course. Well, absolutely, and this is my point. It's one of the few multi-generational wineries uh, on the Mornington Peninsula. Um, They have a passion also for producing some of the more eccentric wines. They Mm. have a Florage, Sauvignon, and a few different things. But they're recognised as one of the Australian leaders Mm. for, for sustainable and regenerative uh, viticulture as well. So now, mm. I- interesting on the description you gave me then of that Pinot. Yeah. One of the questions in the back of my mind was, this will improve a little bit over the years. Yes. And uh, I mean, I don't know whether even Rollo, Rollo even knows yet. Oh, you know, hang on to this one for five years or anything like sure. that. But I'm just wondering whether there was any conversation about, gee, this is just going to improve as well. Well, the. When I leaned over and, and, and made some yeah. small comment, I was really con- congratulatory yeah. because it was an exceptional wine. Yep. And um, that kind of detail is perhaps reserved for when you're one-on-one yes. a bit out of the forum. Yeah, correct. But certainly, um, I couldn't not say anything because I felt the wine was so good. And yeah, you want the comment, well, yeah. I spoke to um, Brendan and we spoke about ageing potential and where we look at wines. Yep. So we looked at... You know, a good wine really is a wine that you can taste young and old. Yes, so true. the magic formula will be to to enjoy it young and old. That's the brilliance and yeah. balance, of course, and yeah. all the other elements. However, I was asking him about the sweet spot of a particular wine like that one. Yep. And I sort of thought five to eight years. Okay. And he tended to agree, but he thought it might be able to go a little longer. Mm-hmm. But I loved where it If it lasts that long, this yeah, is I the question. Yeah, I love where it now. Yes. Like, it was just like... <laughs> so that was the first That was the big one, and there's another and big the one. And the second standout from the Mornington yeah. Peninsula... Uh, and that's not to say the other the other ten weren't any good, but uh, no, no, these particular ones... These ones stood out. Yeah. So th- it was ten minutes by tractor. Yep. And... Because uh, they've got a range of Pinots, too. They've got four or five different Pinots when you go there. Yes. Well... We're talking about the apex of this vintage, yep. in my personal view. Yes. And the, every single wine was incredible, but these just jumped out immediately. Yep. Um, and Imogen was next to me also, and she's a brilliant wine judge and winemaker. Mm-hmm. And we've come in contact uh, on a couple of occasions. And uh, she exactly, because we were standing talking about welcome to country and, and uh, cultural things, she said, oh, come sit down with us and we'll, we'll taste some wines. Yep. So the 2021 10 Minutes by Tractor Trahir Pinot Noir. Okay. And yep. this is from a specific site. And yep. I, I haven't been to this vineyard, but just having a look at the wine was once again a standout wine. Brilliant. So deeper, 
red to black fruits. Yep. Uh, concentrated and beautiful nose. Um, lovely spice and an impeccable, delicate and soft tannin. This okay. was the thing that stood out. The yeah. tactile textural element of this beautiful peanut was like a was like a silk sheet, mm. and that sensation you would remember from drinking these any yes. beautiful wine is, yep. is quite hard to replicate. Like Very a much. tightly woven silk sheet. Yep. So that was the ten ten minutes by tractor, and uh, that was called the tractor. Did you say? Uh, Trahia. 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 Right. Okay. They were the two, and of course the interesting thing about mm. ten by tractor is. And the whole name of it is that they've got these little sites which are 10 minutes, literally 10 minutes apart on a tractor. So they've been trying to sort of uh, get the distinction between the different sites. Uh, Mm. Sometimes they'll blend, but they tend to try to separate them and and, and cultivate them. So interesting that they've they've done that one and it impressed you so much, Darren. Well, it was, you know, it was, they're in Main Ridge and... um, They've added three new vineyards, which is interesting as time's okay. gone on, yep. and with different aspects and yep. slopes and soils. And they have, I believe, a south-facing uh, site with close plantings. And this That'll is be interesting really, for the really future. interesting yeah. because that Point ties back before. into mm. the climate Indeed. Uh, discussion. Yeah. And perhaps in a way looking to pioneer forward and forge forward um, in the complete opposite of what was the norm yep. 15, 20 years ago. Wow. Okay, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, other thing. No, so we're we're in. Well, where are we? At day two now. So we're we're, in day we're, two. We're under the trees, and we have a bit of a tasting in in the. Uh, We've had a beautiful giant tasting. shed. We'll call it a shed. It's a bit. bit so day unfair. two ends with uh, a workshop and a seminar. Right. And guests uh, were able to choose ah. where they like to go uh, and what they'd be interested in. Yep. Um, where'd you, where'd I chose you go? the workshop number two, which was Pinot Noir winemaking viticulture trends. Right. And we all uh, arrived at Port Phillip and Saturday was a brilliant day. There was not a single cloud in the sky mm. and Port Phillip has that beautiful aspect. Uh, the fishbowl glass looks out over Western Port. Yep. And um, down in the foreground, their vineyard looked immaculate. Mm. And uh, it was uh, interesting because they had an automatic tractor, remote-controlled tractor, that yep. would go through the, the rows unmanned, which wow. I thought it was a, a piece of technology that was yeah. quite interesting to look at while we were talking about wine. So the workshop was really... Uh, there was two Master of Wines on the panel and... Uh, a few other individuals, and it re- it featured six wines to provoke conversation. Okay, and um, it was about fashion, sort of like to what extent um, is the fashion led by the consumer uh, or the intuitive producers? What role do journalists have? And it really just like was teasing out the tension between the vinerons, the sommeliers. And, you know, where fashions are going and who's leading the trends. And that would have been yeah. an interesting discussion because, yeah. you know, a lot of people would go to a restaurant, for instance, and say, oh, what do you recommend? Sure. And uh, done that before and got a wolf blast going back about 1972 or something, and <laughs> which was damn good at the time, I yeah. must say. Uh, but that happens a bit. And there's some other people who will just say, look, I know that, I want that. Yes. So it would be very interesting to hear that, that that discussion. Did anything particularly strike you from the from that type of discussion? 
Well, it was it was fascinating because I was on the table with um, the Paringa viticulturalist oh, yes. and one of the Paringa winemakers, right? And also the brand new um, Port Phillip winemaker. Yep. And these gentlemen were on the table, and yes, yeah, so I'm going to mention that probably next week or so we'll, yeah. we'll mention some of those new arrivals here exactly. on the peninsula. But uh, continue on. And um, we just had a chat. The the winemaker. The winemakers were really looking at basically um, leading the way with their own artistic endeavour, yep. with their own experience. Yep. They were really had the blinkers on regarding the journalists yep. and the sommeliers. Yep. In a sense, I got a sense that the winemaker wanted to make the wine that they wanted to drink. Yes, yeah. And, and that was really fascinating. That's the Michael Kogbird approach. Yeah, Michael is an amazing human. He was there as well in fine yeah. form. So hmm. the viticulturalist just wants to get the best out of the site. Yes. Just regardless wants to get the fruit in its optimum condition. Now, yep. this is an interesting aspect for listeners. Hmm. So essentially, if you want to look at it a different way, procuring that fruit in the vineyard with all the elements, all the dynamic elements uh, of weather, climate, mm. site, once you snip that bunch, mm. when that fruit's at its optimum ready to pick, it's at 100% value. It's yep. at 100% quality, let's yep. say. Yep. As soon as you snip that bunch, everything you do loses a percent or two. Right. So do you pick first thing in the morning to, yeah, yeah. to mitigate sunburn or do you pick in the middle of the day and as it's transported, is the winery close to the vineyard or is it a long way yeah. away? Every single process you take from snipping that bunch will lose a percentage in quality. It just isn't that fascinating yeah. when you consider the number of. Um, I'm thinking Hunter Valley now, yes. who get in their grapes from somewhere in South Australia, yes. and they, they could be on the road for a day and a half before exactly. they reach them. That's an interesting exactly. Yeah. And so, if you look at that mindset, then you look at. So when the fruit comes to the winery, yep. um, how integrated is the winemaker with the viticulturalist? Yep. How well does the winemaker know the site? What is the ethos and mantra? Where are you, what style are you trying to make? Are you trying to represent the vineyard in place mm. or are you driving forward a certain style mm. overriding place? It goes on and this is, yeah. Isn't that fascinating? Because <laughs> there's, there's one of the new wineries in, at Heathcote called The Farmer and the Scientist. Yes, Farmer being the viticulturist, yes. the scientist being the winemaker, they are married. So oh. they sit down and have that sort of discussion on a regular basis. How good's that? And you can imagine the room. Yeah. I mean, there's 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 lots of Hugh and Hook was in the room, yep. Mr. James Halliday was in the room, yep. and lots of the majority of the winemakers were in the room. It was an amazing discussion. And they all rushed up and said, Pleased to meet you, Darren. <laughs> oh, I, I did. We, we, we crossed paths. I've got another story about that. But the interesting part about that is that, you know, it's almost like everyone, you can't have one without the other. I mean, yeah. you won't know anything about the wine unless a journalist um, communicates and shares how good it is or, mm. or what the wine's about or the story. Um, you can't have the winemaker without the viticulturalist. And then, you know, you need to sell it somewhere as well. So, yeah. you know, the three, these, all these aspects work together. And it's interesting to see the dynamic between the way people want to make wine. I, I think Pinot Noir, because it's so sensitive to its environment, yeah. um, really place is quite important. And, and that's the main ethos that we've seen coming out of Europe. But we're starting to see um, 
individuals look at stylistic considerations like whole bunch, mm. uh, for example, um, to aid or change the direction of their Pinot Noirs. And one element that people, this is just for the listeners' general knowledge, I mean, one element that you would find if you were picking apart a blind lineup of Pinot Noir is that sort of classic Australian mint. Yes. It's like the eucalypt element yep. that, that you can pick up on the nose. Mm. Um, and that's typically uh, seen where the vines and the grapes are growing up next to uh, eucalyptus trees or Australian bush. Yep, yep. And it's an element that we can own. You know, it's an element that might not be uh, desirable at the start, but once we understand to become confident with that, yep. it, it makes us distinctive. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and, and yeah. Coonawarra as a region is often known for that the hint of mint. Yes. And, and some of the other ones not so much in Coonawarra but near Coonawarra yes. who are doing some Pinots are just starting to get a little bit of that as well. So they're only just new and de- at developing that side in the the very southern part of uh, South Australia. So, so they're not into it as much as we are. I but think, it's just yeah. interesting to it, see those developments popping through. Yeah, and the discussion was brilliant. I mean, who's leading who? Yeah. We're all leading each other. We're all exactly. working together. Yeah. And um, that's what this is all about, even sharing today this wonderful event that everyone, you know, professional or otherwise, can, can be a part of next year. It really is quite special. Lastly, all of these sessions are accompanied by uh, wines. I'm going to pick three wines yeah. that stood out from this particular panel. Yep. yep. And um, the first one was from Gippsland. Okay. Uh, and it's Dirty Three. Yeah, that they've really been... Uh Really been hit, hitting the mark uh, at the Gippsland show. They they were seen as the number one winery there, and yes. there's some good good wineries in oh. the Gippsland area. So they're roughly Inverlochish way. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's they make their wines from various sites around yes. South Gippsland, mostly focused on Pinot Noir. Yep, uh, they have three single sites or dirts, yep. as they call it, um, alongside a sub regional blend mm-hmm. and. This was the 21 Dirty 3 Dirt 2. Okay. Um, and oh, I've got... Yeah, so what did I... So this was a very, very good wine. Lovely bright acidity, lovely red fruits, great structure, and more of a sort of chalky tannin, but impeccable balance. Oh. It was a certain standout for this panel. Um, and then we had a wine... I haven't been excessively familiar with New Zealand Pinot Noir, but yep. I think a lot of people on the Mornington Peninsula in Australia should look to Pinot Noir. Uh, I think yep. they are definitely in New Zealand, yeah, in, okay. in New Zealand yeah, yeah, yeah. because they are also leading the charge on the best of the new world. And it would be a little bit naive for us in Australia not to see what the Kiwis what are doing. doing. Yeah. Maybe shift our focus away from Burgundy yep. and, and look at other new world producers and say, okay, and learn a little bit, go over mm. and taste. I think that... The Kiwi Pinot Noirs are some of the best in the world. And uh, was this it? was in Martinborough, the bottom yep. of the North Island. Yep. And it, it really blew me away. Lovely sort of dense fruit and, and darker, richer sort of style. Um, and it just pricked my interest. I thought, oh, I need to look further into yeah. tasting. And the name of that particular wine from Martinborough? Uh, this is interesting. Craggy Range. Okay. Tenmuna. Yep. Road, Pinot Noir. It was a long one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the Tem- Temuna Road in Martinborough, which is just on that little pocket of the... Um, it's got maritime influence at the bottom of the North Island. Yep. And, you know, certainly an area I'd love to physically go and see and yeah. then understand and much more. Explore but, it a bit, yeah. Oh, my God, did that taste good? And 
Then we had the Poolies once again from Tasmania. So Bub and Pooley was a, a is a collaboration. Yes, and that was their twenty twenty one vintage that we tasted in the lineup. So they, they, they did very well. I think it was Royal Melbourne uh, last year. Yes, they they, uh, they were one of the the highlighted ones. The Bub and Pooley, and as I said, the 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 Poolies made the one. I can't think of oh uh, Charter House Charter yes. House one which you can't buy now anyway they no. basically sold out but that was the one that won the um, the the Pinot Challenge sure. that uh, the MPVA yes uh, organised around about last September beautiful yeah. well if you could set the scene what a beautiful lunch you've got the the, the stunning backdrop of um, Port Phillip and yep. the rolling greens into Phillip Island yep. you've got you know 180 degree views white tablecloths and and a, an impeccable lunch. Uh, at Port Phillip, might I add? And the people who are talking in this session for you? Oh, this, this they were master of wine, yep. so they um, Richard Hemming, yes, uh, Matt Harrop, who people would have probably seen or read stuff of his, and, yes, and Rebecca Hull, yes. That and that's three names that I knew were in that session. Yeah, so you're right, you're right. Uh, yeah. And I hadn't. Um, it was just fascinating to listen. So let's move on. So yeah, the workshop sure. went into an afternoon seminar on the final day. And this was really, really interesting. Guests could choose from a series of seminars, sustainability, true terroir, rootstock and clones, and or fermentation vessels, uh, robotics and automation, or high-altitude Pinot Noirs. Now, I was definitely drawn to fermentation vessels. Okay. And um, not being a winemaker, it was a fantastic way to learn a little more about some of the tools that could potentially be used to improve Pinot Noir or change the style of Pinot Noir. Mm. And it, it was held at the Capella Vineyard oh. uh, for handpicked. Wow. And um, Becoming quite famous, that particular one there. I know that in, it was impeccably maintained. Yeah. It was beautiful looking yeah. at it. And with Peter Dillon uh, and Rowan Smith, they, yeah. they, they'd done the, the, the work on this with uh, Imogen Dillon from 10 Minutes and... Uh, and Peter Caldwell, as you mentioned, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, from Ta- Piper's Brook in Tasmania. Yep. And so what they'd done was basically been as uniform as they could with the wine mm. from the vintage uh, in, in every single technical element yep. and then put it into a varying, varying types of vessels. Oh. And the idea was a blind tasting to see yeah. you know, which vessel, you know, what characteristics were favourable, what was not so favourable, and... Um, it was five wines from the same vineyard in, impacting, yep. exploring the impacts of those vessels. So it was really interesting because as we walked in, Rowan Smith was there, very charismatic, uh, great, great man. And he said, just up, move up the front, move up the front. And uh, all the tables were laid out immaculately in the winery, in the barrel room as well. Right, okay, and I, yeah. I crept up quietly and I found a single spot. And I looked to my left and I was at the table with Mr. James Halliday. Right. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I've got to be on my game here. <laughs> it was just an incredible experience. Focus, Darren. <laughs> because it was a blind tasting. So yeah. they said, okay, we put it to you. They had a sample from Tasmania, five, yep. Yep. and a sample from the Mornington Peninsula, five. Right. And they threw it back to everyone in the room and right. said, guess what vessel it was what? fermented yeah. in. <laughs> wow. And I looked around the room yeah. and there was... Queerly, Peringa, <laughs> Yarra, Montalto, Crindon, Algae Park, yeah. every winemaker from the region yeah. 
was in that room. Wow. And they were um, really interesting. It yeah. was, and so I was like on the table with yeah. James Halliday, yeah. with every winemaker on the Mornington Peninsula. Yeah. I'm like head down, concentrating, yeah. trying to pick out these vessels. <laughs> and Rowan Smith collated all the data yep. and the preferences. So we yep. went through different uh, forms of vessels. And um, I haven't got them listed here, uh, but there was terracotta, stainless steel, oak, of course. Yep. Did they concrete. S- separate American oak and, and French no, oak? No, it was just one. Just it was oak. French. Yeah, and, yeah. And, but it was just the, the, the sizes of the yes, eggs. Yeah. And um, the funny part about this seminar, it was a beautiful, beautiful seminar, was that we collated all the preferences from the room. Yep. Now, a couple of winemakers, the Port Phillip winemaker, I think got it right, all of them. It was incredibly difficult (laughs) to pick apart, considering I'm not a winemaker. No. Was it concrete or was it ceramic or terracotta? And um, the results came out with the preferences. Mm -hmm. The concrete, which is an inert egg, was quite large. I think it was 700. And it basically... Allowed the wine; it just gave it a lot of drive and yep. a lot of a lot of a lot of fantastic structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, the aroma uh, probably was less bright than um, the uh, ceramic, which I loved. Yep. And both of those wines were got one and two for the okay. crowd. Yep. And uh, I'm glad I got one preference in yeah. there that was in, in line with all the other professionals. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> the concrete I found to be the aroma wasn't as bright as I would like, mm-hmm. but it definitely had really good structure and line. And so these eggs aren't really designed for Pinot Noir. They're typically no. designed for white wines. Yep. And they have a radical sort of um, motion that takes place in the fermentation. Right. So a movement yep. um, or a motion, dynamic motion yep. that takes place. While it's fermenting, yeah. Yes, which, which spreads things around, yep. mild in part of oxygen yep. and different elements in the winemaking. So but, for, for mm. the listeners, Darren's moving his hands in around a, a sort of <laughs> a circular manner. Would give, give you? I understand what he means now, <laughs> The hand signals, but you wouldn't have picked that up on the radio. But, uh, but, the eggs but yeah. yeah, they're not designed for Pinot Noir because yeah, you've yeah. got pulp. You know, you've uh, got yes. so what they've done is really revolutionary. And so once the trial was finished, they had to dig out this narrow hole, all the pulp, you know, right. and reuse the egg. But yeah. for the for the for the sake of looking forward at an alternative vessel for fermentation, um, the uh, the ceramic and the, the concrete, just is a fascinating trial. There was a couple of traditionalists that enjoyed the oak still. I, I, I had oak as sort of my second and third preference on yep. two of the panels. Um, and they were really... So at the end, Peter Dillon was very, very kind yeah. and said, oh, I shouldn't be doing this, but um, there are beers available and here's our uh, small batch Riesling for you to all try. <laughs> and so he gave wow. us a little takeaway goodie bag. Yeah. So the Capella Vineyard down there... Um, if anyone gets an opportunity, it's a beautiful site. They're doing incredible things, handpicked with Pinot Noir. Mm. And it was a real privilege to be in that room uh, tasting, uh, you know, what is possible moving forward. Yeah, yeah. So very much looking looking to the future, that one. Mm. So finally, coming to the end. Yes, yes. We, wow. I would like to take a quick look now yeah. uh, at some of the more impressive Pinot Noirs that stood out yeah, good during, idea. during the event. Good so, idea. We'll go in alphabetical order. Yep, that's always and safest. <laughs> it's always the safest. And I think, like with mo- most tastings, it was absolutely amazing to see many of these wines change and open up in the glass. Yes. So as yep. you're sitting quietly yep. and you've got, uh, say, 12 wines lined up, yep. 
you're looking at the wines early and then you're looking maybe five minutes later and yep. then 30 minutes later and, mm. and it's amazing to watch them change mm. and, and to taste the difference. It, so coming through, we've already had a little look uh, at some of these. Yeah, we've had a, given a hint. These brilliant wines. Um, the first one I did mention, if we go down into Gippsland, I think listeners should really have a look at Bass River. Yep. Um, so Frank and Pat Batera. They're one of the first vineyards to be planted in Gippsland, mm. um, Bass River, and they're located sort of in the south, at the southern end of the uh, Strezlecki Ranges. Mm. Uh, so maritime influence, yeah, yeah. low uh, elevation. They're, this particular 21, so it's the 2021 Bass River 1835 Pinot Noir. I had excellent Pinot Noir with bright, lifted aromas of red fruit spice. Um, the palate certainly reflected the nose. It was well balanced with a great seductive texture and fine tannin. This wine, I think, retails at a reasonable price. Mm. I think it's around $30 or $40. Yeah, my understanding is $35. But, um, $35 could be right. Yeah. Brilliant. Because I was chatting, I put something on the radio a couple of weeks ago and mentioned yeah. them, and uh, that's that's the number that stuck in my mind, Darren. So I'm glad it's on the top in... in in your list, we're in alphabetical order, of course. We're so, in, we're in B alphabetical Bass order. River. We're going to go. We're going. We're going to. We're going to stay down in Gippsland. Yep. So listeners won't get confused. It's the Dirty Three yeah. again, and really, Dirty Three wines, Dirt Two, Pinot Noir, is was exceptional. Mm. You know, as I said, it was a very, very good wine with bright acid, lovely red fruits, great structure, and. And an, an impeccable balance. Uh, that was that. We've had a look at Crittenden. Yep. Uh, so you definitely got uh, Creta Core in there. Creta yeah. Core Crittenden, yep. without a question, 2021. And that is absolutely brilliant. Now, we need to, for anyone interested in Pinot Noir, for any Pinot Noir lover, uh, Tasmania and the 2021 vintage is a must. Mm. And the Bub and Pooley. Uh, 2021 Pinot Noir was absolutely outstanding. So I'll give you a little quick background. Yes. So Bub and Pooley, um, Justin Bub and Anna Pooley, yep. they've been making wine across the globe for 20 years. Hmm. Um, they've lived and worked in Tasmania on a number of premium vineyards. And, you know, they. it was time that they sort of came to release their own side hustle, as yeah. they put it. It's yeah. an A-grade side hustle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, they have a philosophy... Yep. And I've got it here in front of me. They, so they say it's, a, it's an opportunity to collaborate with some exceptional vineyards and people across the state and produce wines that are connected with our philosophy of making wine from the ground up. All of our decisions are focused on how we can do things better in order to minimise our impact on the environment, which is great. Mm-hmm. Sustainability threads through and underpins their approach. So that viticulture and wine make the yeah the the grower and the maker yes. working in closer unison. together. That's right. Yeah. And so yeah, so this Bub and Pooley Twenty One, outstanding, excellent dark fruit and drive structure, stunning balance, just a, just a brooding dark, deceptively powerful Pinot Noir. Mm. Uh, very very good wine. Coming down the list, we had moving on into the section of L, which was Lowstoft, Tasmania. Now, their 2021 Le Maison Pinot Noir, I only wrote outstanding. I couldn't actually get words to it. Yeah. <laughs> it was too... It was just... It was 
So the, the, it's a premium band, brand that's sort of um, Fogarty Wine Group based out of WA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a new label in Tasmania. So they have sustainable plantings on two properties um, in Fawcett and Richmond, which is the Coal yep. River once Cold again. Yeah. And... Uh, they have a lot of this big company owns a lot of uh, land down there, so this Pinot Noir, I'd need to look into again in the details. I have got one at home. I'm quite impressed. I'm very happy that I do. <laughs> I'll save it for a few years because yeah. it's okay. exceptional wine. So Lowstoft La Maison Pinot Noir. I think they have a website. So yep. uh, have a look at that one, listeners. And then coming down the track, there are a couple more to tie off. Um, 10 Minutes by a Tractor, I mentioned. Yep. And one of the last ones, just briefly, was Yering Station. So okay. for those of you who don't know, it's the site of probably... Is it the site of Victoria's oldest? I think it's eight, they argue that. Yeah, yeah. so 1838. Correct. Um, yeah. They developed into a successful and pioneering uh, viticulture and winemaking. Yep. Enterprise, actually. So that's a long time ago, 1838. Absolutely. And <laughs> <laughs> um, 1996 changed hands the property. Mm. The Rathbone family took over. And then the winery uh, focuses now on high-quality, cool-climate viticulture and winemaking. Yep. So really, Brendan Hawker, I, I had never met before. Um, he was quite charismatic. And uh, the only reason I knew was because... Uh, I couldn't read his tag, but right. it just said Yering. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, oh, well, Yarra. And I was like, that could be a few different things. That's right. <laughs> a few, there's a few Yering ones in the, we got in the Yarra Valley. Yeah. We were talking about um, Riesling, anyhow. Yeah. He, he's got a philosophy. So they aim to make fresh and bright wines of purity and elegance with subtle layers of complexity. And they have a few different parcels or a few different blocks of fruit um, that will give a certain expression of the site. But 2021, Ewing Station Pinot Noir. I don't know where this sits. This scene, this was delicate, had lovely strawberry red fruits to glazed cherry. Yep. And um, when I say glazed cherry, it's cherry, but just with a pinprick of sweetness. Mm. So it's um, not a sort of tart cherry. Yep. It's, it's more yep. of a sweet cherry, but a dark cherry. Yep. And it was light, bright, but in, impeccably balanced. So... This one, I think, may sit around the $30, $40 mark as well. So there's a couple of premiums in there, the 10 Minutes, Low Soft and Crittenden, and then Yering, mm. uh, Bass River, yeah, and uh, the others, which are sort of more uh, reasonable. Okay, in yeah. terms of their costs, yeah. But <laughs> absolute, what, so what a fascinating weekend. Now, uh, you, you can, if you need to explore more, um, they, they had a website, just um, go to Mornington yeah. uh, Peninsula Wine, yeah. and you know it, it and was just they got a, they got the links absolutely, yeah. and it was just an incredible event and experience for anyone, anyone at all, any wine lover who 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 wants to know more about Pinot Noir or literally look at the best Pinot Noirs around mm. the world yep. and listen to people who who are experts in their field. Brilliant. I find it interesting that it was held on the peninsula. Of course, there's been a couple of major Pinot Noir events on the peninsula recently. Sure. And I'm pretty sure if Olivia was sitting with us, she'd be saying, yeah, we want to be known as uh, almost like the focal point of of 
that's not to say that you know Tasmania and Yarra Valley and all these other places we've talked about don't have great pinots, but almost like Pinot headquarters or something like that. I think. I, they, think. No, I think they're drive. The Mornington Peninsula is driving, driving forward. Yeah. And events like this are world class. Yep. They're, I couldn't fault. I mean, who wouldn't want to sit and be in this beautiful region? Mm. Um, looking at all the wines of the new world and the old world, mm. discussing the nuances at, yep. at the top, some of the best vintages. Mm. It really was a, a brilliant event. And um, Piers and Pinot is also coming up from Mornington Peninsula Wine. Yes. Yep. That's another beautiful event. If you go onto their website, um, set down there Flinders by, Wine. by the Flinders Pier. Yeah. And that is also a great opportunity to see local Pinot Noirs and talk with producers one on one. Absolutely. So we've been chatting with uh, with Darren Wilcox, and um, what, you'll probably hear a bit of this over a period of time. If you're listening now, uh, also check the uh, Facebook page for Wine O'Clock, and uh, you, you'll get probably the full chat with Darren, and also some of the uh, some of the limited ones that we're, we're pumping out on our Wine O'Clock show. Darren, great chatting with you. Thanks for being with me today. Thanks for having me.